highest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, He is the just one, He hath the words of life. so glad and free Jesus greatest highest I will come to thee on that last verse I am resolved and who will go with me come friends without delay taught by the Bible led by the spirit will walk the heavenly way Amen. Great start tonight, preacher. Amen. What a blessing. What a great start tonight. Man, what a great day we had yesterday. Amen. And sure thankful uh, to be back in the Lord's uh, house uh, tonight and certainly every night uh, this week at 7 o'clock. So again, just make it a point to be in your place. Amen. The flesh is going to fight and all of those things, but don't listen to that. Keep coming to the house of God. Amen. Uh, That's what we need. Well, we had a great day today. What beautiful weather outside. And uh, we had Andy's frozen custard, so revival could break out tonight. Amen. Amen. Uh, but sure thankful that you're here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, tonight. And uh, just we, we need the Lord to meet with us tonight. Amen. And so, Brother David Griffin, would you pray for us tonight? Let's remain standing. Turn to page 299. Page 299. Aren't you thankful when the Bible says, Whosoever, that included you. Amen. Let's sing it out on that first verse. I am so happy in Christ today That I go singing along my way Yes, I'm so happy to know and say Jesus included me too Jesus included me Yeah He included me, Jesus included me, yes, He included me when the Lord said, whosoever, He included me, gladly I read, whosoever may come to the fountain of life today, but when I read it, I all say, Jesus included me too, Jesus included me, yes, he included me, when the Lord said, whosoever, he included me, 
on the last verse. Freely come drink words the soul to thrill. Oh, with what joy they my heart to fill. For when he said, whosoever will, Jesus included me too. Jesus included me. Yes, he included me. When the Lord said, whosoever, he included me. Jesus included me. Yes, he included me. Come tonight, we are going to take up an offering uh, each night, and uh, certainly everything that's given outside of, of what's marked as ties and missions, uh, we want to be a blessing to the man of God, as he has certainly already been a blessing uh, to us and, and to take care of him, and so if you uh, would like to help us out with that, you certainly, uh, certainly can. Brother Jim Wisdom, would you pray for us uh, tonight? Yes. Amen. Won't you be seated uh, tonight?
So many times we think of that as a little kid's song. But where would we be without the love of Jesus? Aren't you thankful Jesus loves you? Because he loved you, you can have victory. You can have victory in him. Page 317. Victory in Jesus. He loved you and he died for you. Let's all stand together. Page 317. Let's sing all three verses for our last song together tonight. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood atoning Then I repented Amen tonight.
Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Wonderful singing. This time we're going to have Brother Tim Quinlan come and sing tonight. I think of how he came so far from glory, came and dwelt among the lowly, such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace. On Mount Calvary take my place. And then I ask myself this question, Who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will thine for? The answer I may never know, why he ever loved me so. To an old rugged cross he'd go. For who am I? When I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave you never. If you'll be true, I'll give to you life forever. I know there's nothing that I could have done to deserve God's only Son to fight my battles until they're won. Who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will thine for? The answer I may never know, why he ever loved me so, and to an old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? All righty, thank you, Brother Tim. What a song. Isn't that a great song? I mean, what a message in that song. I'm grateful for that. I love it. I sing that not near as good as he did, but uh, I love to sing it, man. I'll just get alone sometimes and, and sing out to the Lord with that. It's a great, great song. We had a prophecy. We, we went on a prophecy tour today. Appreciate the pastor taking me on that. Just a time where we studied prophecy. We went to Q39. 
and Andy's, and uh, both of those will be catering the married supper of the lamb uh, one day, and uh, my word, what a meal. How many of you have ever eaten at Q39? Do yourself a favor and go back. Uh, my word, it's good. Now, look, I'm a Georgia boy, okay? So I, I grew up on barbecue. A lot of kids, when they're born, they get the bottle and think, no, my parents fed me barbecue when I was just a baby. And it's the one food you can gum without teeth. So it's amazing. I mean, barbecue sauce. And uh, when I went out to Idaho, we planted a church out there. We had our first outing, and somebody said, Pastor, can you bring the barbecue? And I'm, yeah, sure. You, would you like Sweet Baby Ray's? What, what, what do you like? You like honey barbecue or smoked or something like that? They just stared me down like, what are you talking about? They were talking about a grill. Now, there's a difference in a grill. In a bar- okay, you eat barbecue. You cook with the grill. So I had to educate. I had to educate them. And, you know, I also had to teach them. We, we, a lady invited us over for dinner and had been in church. Pastor, we'd like you and your wife to come over for dinner. So I said, all right, we will. So we showed up about 10 till noon and knocked on the door. And she came out and just sort of, it was this frozen look, you know. Just, and I said, uh, oh, my word, did we, I thought it was Tuesday. Would I get the wrong day? She said, no, we just thought you would be here for dinner. And I said, well, I can ride around for 10 minutes if you want me to and come back. I, you know, I, I mean, noon, I, I, so she said, no, no, dinner. You mean supper. Oh, okay. See, see in the Bible, there's breakfast, dinner, lunch, supper. Okay. Jesus didn't have the last dinner. He had the last supper. Amen. So it's been a, it's look, it's, it's been, it's been a job getting correct doctrine in Idaho. Amen. Just trying to get these people doctrinally on the ground. We had a great time today, though. Really, really great day. And I mean, how can it be a bad day when you top it off with Andy's? Amen. And uh, good stuff. And we, w- we went to uh, uh, Union Station. That was fascinating. Just a, just a really cool place to go. And the fellowship was great. So I, I had a wonderful time. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of jo- uh, Judges chapter 1. And thank you for being here. Thank you for coming back tonight. I've heard myself preach on tape, and I determined then that I would never go to hear myself preach uh, if I wasn't myself. You know what I'm saying? So I'm glad I don't pastor me, or I would not be a faithful member. But anyhow, thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate that, and uh, trust in God going to do something. I want you to stand to your feet, if you will, and uh, Judges chapter number 1, and we'll begin reading with verse number 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. And so Simeon went with him. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek ten thousand men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. And they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table, as I have done, 
So God hath requited me, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we come to you, and we thank you for what you've already done in this revival meeting, and the way you've spoken to hearts, those that have been saved, we're grateful, and, and we come again tonight, and we admit our dependence upon you, and we pray now, Lord, that you would do in our midst what only you can do, convict us. Lord, uh, move us, I pray, that down deep inside of us that, that you might uh, shine the spotlight of your word by the Spirit and that we might make the decisions tonight, Lord, that you would have for us to make. We'll give you praise and honor and glory. Save the lost and convict the saved, we pray in Jesus' holy name. I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Any student of history understands that history is filled with warfare. It's just a part of the, the history of mankind. Because men are sinners, there's oftentimes conflicts that arise between men and tribes and nations and so on and so forth. And in the history of warfare, you, you find that there was a time when wars were waged by nations that did not enjoy such geographical boundaries as those are enjoyed today by what we consider a country, a nation like America or England or Germany or France or, or Russia or one of the other nations that have large geographical boundaries surrounding uh, their people. As it was in the days of Athens and Sparta, um, they were city kingdoms and in the feudal systems that, 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 that ruled um, the geography during those days. These city kingdoms would do battle against each other, and so it is in the time of our text. Every city was a kingdom within itself. And in fact, uh, uh, each city kingdom had its own coinage. And the, 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 the symbol or the image of the king of that kingdom was stamped upon the coinage. That's why you had money changers and things like that in different areas of nations that you would travel into because one coin may be worth something here and it's worth less there or worth more there or whatever. And so there would be people there that would determine that. When the, when the, when the kings were, were, were overthrown or, or things changed as far as the leadership of the nation, then, then the coinage was, was restruck. If you know anything about coin collecting, you'll find that some of the rarest coins are people or coins that have the, the images of people that, that are, were either more famous or that ruled for a shorter period of, of, of time. Every city kingdom with its own king um, uh, had its boundary lines, and they had walls that surrounded their city, and people that lived in the rural areas out li outside, of the, outside of the walls of the city, when a marauding uh, army would come or when bands of rovers would come, uh, those people would flee within the gates of the city, and the gates would be closed, and within that city they would find their sustenance and their protection from the enemy that was seeking to invade them. A king might get his kingdom that had been handed down from grandfather to father to son to grandson, etc., etc., or it could be a coup attempt where someone was able to take over and, and, uh, and, and gain his rule by that. Most men, most men were satisfied to rule their kingdom. And within that kingdom, they gathered their taxes. And as it is in every generation, 
those that sat on the throne or in the, uh, in the seat of authority did most well. Those that paid the taxes did not do near as well. And so things have not changed over the years. And, and, and yet that man knew that these are my people, this is my city, these are my walls, this is my kingdom, this is, this is my treasury, and from the people he would gain and glean his own wealth. Some men, unlike the majority, were not satisfied with ruling one kingdom. He decided, these particular men did, that, that ruling their own city kingdom was not enough, and so they would attack and try to conquer other city kingdoms. And much like a snowball going downhill, one would conquer another, and the two would conquer the third, and the, and, 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 and the, the three would, would conquer the fourth. And, and as each kingdom was conquered, it was a trophy it was a trophy in the showcase of the conquering king and, and the more city kingdoms that he steamrolled or blitzcraigged, however you want to call it, the more money he got, the more prestige he had, the larger his army became, and the more famous his name was as it spread throughout uh, the area uh, of the world in which he lived and the time in which he lived. Now, one such king, a man who was not satisfied with what he had, was Adonai Bezek. The word Adonai means Lord. Bezek is the city. He was literally the Lord of Bezek. What he said went, and everything that, that, that he intended was followed to the T. His name is only mentioned in three verses in all of the Word of God, and yet during this time, his name was known far and wide. His name was a name that was feared and, and, and struck panic, uh, into the hearts of people uh, who heard that he was coming to overtake their city. Picture with me, if you will, a city surrounded by walls. On top of those walls, men gather. Their, their palms are sweaty. Their, their heart is pounding because they realize that the army, the army, the infamous army of the infamous king, Adonai Bezek, is coming and will not, will not uh, be satisfied with anything other than ultimate and, and total capitulation. And, and women are nowhere to be seen. They're huddled in the houses inside the walls with children gathered around them. They are afraid of what's going to happen. The children see fear in the faces of the adults around them. And those men, those men look out from the walls of that city uh, at an army whose metal has been tested time and, and time again. They these, these men, those men, the army of Bezek, the men that were ruled by Adonai Bezek, they're, they're not novices of war at all. They're, they're well familiar. They're at home amidst the smell of battle. They know what it's like to, to, to know the sounds of, of the dying. Their horses, even their horses with nostrils flared, and, and pawing the ground, anticipate the coming charge. The, these men, they understand what it is to battle. They know what it is uh, to, to stain a city with blood. And after this day, unless the flag of surrender is flown, many a woman will be widowed and many a child will be fatherless. And Adonai Bezek will simply add to his list of cities he's conquered one more city. 
unconcerned about those that died trying to defend it, unconcerned about the children who no longer have a father, unconcerned about the women who have no one left to embrace as their husband. Adonai Bezek was a heartless, cruel man that simply conquered those weaker than he was. However, if all that could be said about Adonai Bezek was what we've already mentioned, probably we would read nothing about him in the Bible. Because there were other men. I mean, this, this, isn't, I mean, this isn't the happiest place on earth. This isn't some form of, of, of Disney World. This isn't, this, isn't, uh, uh, you know, this isn't a nursery rhyme we're reading about. This was a difficult day in which these people lived. These were hard times. And he was not the only tyrant. And, and long after he was dead and buried, other tyrants was ar- would arise throughout history, and some even into our modern day and modern times. Okay, so the tyranny of man is not something that, that is out of the ordinary. What brings him out and draws him out from all other people is, is that, out, that, like, that, that he had uh, a strange fetish in which he would mutilate the kings that he conquered. He mutilated them. To conquer a king and to keep him alive was to have a living, breathing, walking evidence of your superiority. You didn't have a trophy case and like, you know, you do, I, I, we, we beat them 44 to 12 or whatever. You know, you didn't have that. What'd you have? You, have a, you had a parade when the conquering king came through. All of the kings that he had conquered lined up behind them uh, behind this procession and, and showed uh, the world that he had defeated all of them. You know why Saul didn't want to kill Agag when he took over the Amalekites? Because Saul didn't have any trophies to show to make himself look good and everybody else look bad. So Saul said, I'm tired of everybody else getting, getting trophies. I'm not going to kill Agag. Are you kidding me? If I kill Agag, nobody's going to know how great I am. And so Saul, rather than giving glory to God, spared Agag's life because he wanted a trophy in his case to show how cool he was. All right, so here we are now. Here's Adonai Bezek. And the Bible said that, that, that Adonai Bezek would, would conquer a city kingdom and would keep the king alive to be a part of his long line, 70. Count them, 70 men that he had defeated, and 70 people would line up behind him, and 70 times it would be evidence he's better, he's better, he's better, he's better, he's better. You talk about a narcissist. Here we are. But just to make sure that his superiority over them was evidence he would cut off their thumbs, meaning they would never hold a sword or draw a bow again. He would then cut off their, uh, both of their big toes, meaning they would never walk the same. It's pretty evident when a guy is walking and his balance is off and he's walking behind this kingly procession, it's pretty evident that, that something drastic has happened in his life. So lined up behind him are 70 kings missing their thumbs, 70 kings missing their toes, and there's Adonai Bezek riding, riding over them, and, uh, and he did this 70 times. Then, to top it all off, as he ate a king's meal, as he sat in his palatial surroundings with servants waiting on his every need, those 70 kings drew meat 
under his table. Now, I want you to understand what that means. If you could go with me to Caesarea Maritima in, off the coast of the Mediterranean in Israel, you will find the palace of Herod the Great, and they're just excavating under that now. It's not where you can actually go in it yet. But they've excavated underneath his palace, and underneath that palace is a prison. And so as the king sat in his palace, the prisoners ate below him. If you go with me to Jerusalem, I'd take you to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, who sat as a basically a, a lord, a king over the Jewish people, a religious king over the Jewish people. And, and, and when you go to Caiaphas' house, the palace is up here, and down below are the chambers. Down below are the chambers where, where, where the disciples and where it's believed the Lord Jesus Christ himself was tortured underneath that. And so the, what it's saying here is Adonai Bezek, just, just like in those illustrations, he had his palace here, but the, but the kings, the 70 kings that he had defeated were exiled below him. They knew that above them, as they ate their, their piddling bread and water and the few things they were given, they knew above them a man lived like they used to live. Above them, a man had freedom. Above them, a man had servants. Above them, a man was surrounded by the niceties of life. Above them sat a guy that had defeated them and was so far ahead of them. And above them was a life that they would never be allowed back to. And 70 kings, 70 kings realized that they would never again be back on that level. So, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that Adonai Bezek not only humbled them in defeat, he humiliated them by mutilating them and robbing from them any form of respect or any hope of ever having restoration. Now, let's just sum this up real quick. God keeps records. Okay. Now, by the way, listen to me. The quicker you learn that, the better you're going to be. So you can put away your pencil and paper. Okay? You, 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 can, you, you can put away the little list that you keep of people that have wronged you. Because God keeps a better record than you do. God knows what they've done, why they've done it, and how they did it. Okay? And so it's not up to you to keep a record and be reporting to God everything that everybody did wrong you. And in fact, that'll wreck you and destroy you, okay? You better realize God keeps records. And so sure enough, uh, sure enough here, uh, the, the lament, uh, Adonai Bezek was not only finally defeated and had both of his thumbs and both of his big toes cut off, here's, here's his lament, three score and ten kings having their thumbs and their toes great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. Listen to this. As I have done, so God hath requited me. You know what Adonai Bezek said? God got me back. God even the score. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And Adonai Bezek was a living testimony of that. Now, Let's do this. Let's draw this to a point here. All right, let's, let's get on track. With all of that in our minds, I want to ask you one simple question. Who's under your table? Who is it 
Who is it that in your mind you have taken from them any hope of ever being restored again? Who is it, who is it that somewhere you've exiled to a lower place of life? Somebody that, 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 that uh, you have passed judgment on and for some reason and maybe an absolutely justifiable reason, but you, you have gone the extra mile, not just in disassociating from them, but in, but in making sure that somehow you have, you have taken from them their thumbs or their toes or somehow you have caused not just uh, humility but, but humiliation to them and you've exiled through your unforgiveness. Who is it that you lord over in your heart? Who is it that you feed above? Who is it that, that, that you have placed below you? Maybe it's a mom or a dad that you hold responsible for a divorce that shattered your childhood. Maybe somewhere down the line uh, you have convinced yourself that you hate him or you hate her or you hate both. And you blame them for where you are now. And had you not had such a childhood, uh, you would have been better off in life. And other people have, 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 have uh, uh, more palatial surroundings in their life because they haven't gone through the pain and the agony and the heartache that you've been through. And some of you are here tonight, some of you are here tonight that have, have genuine beefs. Somebody abused you. You were abused as a child, a trusted friend, an uncle, or, 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 or a teacher, uh, uh, God forgive, maybe a neighbor. But somebody, somebody abused you and took from you something that, that, that you feel like you've never been able to get back. And so, and so you have all the reason in all the world to, to harbor hatred and, and, and uh, wishing ill upon them. But what I'm here to talk with you tonight uh, is really not concerning them, it's concerning you. I'm not worried about their health, I'm worried about your health. And I want us to see tonight, if we become like Adonibizek, to where we're exacting a pound of flesh and a pint of blood from everyone who has wronged us, even when we have every right to do so, in the long run, we're going to be the victims, not them. Maybe it's a boss that has done his best to keep you from advancing, or a co-worker who shows up at work, as far as you're concerned, to make your life miserable. And the struggle to forgive isn't confined to one particular age group. Teenagers struggle with forgiveness. Young people struggle with forgiveness. Saints that have gone down the path of life further than, than the rest, even in the golden years of their life, struggle with things that have happened and sometimes, sometimes the, the bitterness of old age comes from the fact that we've not been able to let go with the wrongs that were done us on our journey to where we are. We've got to get to the place to where we realize. Maybe it's a teacher or a pastor or a brother or a sister. I've been in church services before where one side of the family sat here, the other side of the family sat there, and when the church service was dismissed, they went out different doors because they didn't want to come in contact with each other. And you wonder why the Spirit of God is hindered. I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons why we don't have revival in our churches is because our churches are literally filled with respectable people who have never learned how to forgive. And the spirit of unforgiveness kills revival in a church or in a life or even in a family. And we need to get to the place 
to where we get beyond that. Let me say a couple of things to you tonight about unforgiveness. First of all, you're going to reap what you sow. Now, that's the primary application of this. I think that's clear. I mean, it's just clear as day. The primary application of the text that we've read tonight is Adonai Bezek doing what he did and then finally saying, God hath requited me. In other words, God gave back to me what I gave to everybody else. I thought I was getting by with it, but I did not get by with it. And, and, and the reality of the matter is, um, if we have unforgiveness uh, in our heart, we're at a stopping point. Let me say that again. Look at me. No, no, no. Listen, if, if, if we have unforgiveness in our heart, we are at a stopping point. You can't come to a place in your life and say, well, I can't, I can't forgive. But I'm just going to circumvent that and move around the fact that I can't forgive somebody and now I'm going to just move on. No, you can't circumvent unforgiveness. You've got to stop right there, tip your hat, get on your knees, repent before your Heavenly Father, get right with God, get right with people if you need to. Whatever you've got to do, you will, not, you will not go any further once you've been confronted with unforgiveness in your life. You're at, you're at a stopping point. And, and so the reality is you're going to reap what you sow, as I have done, so God hath requited me. We're taught in Matthew chapter 6 when we pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Wait a minute, Father. Here's how I want you to forgive me of my debts. The same way I forgive everybody else. Son, I mean, wake up. I mean, God stops you in the middle of that prayer. You start out by hallowing his name. You're praising him. Then you're praying for his will on earth, just like it's in heaven. I want your will done here. So you're yielding yourself to him. And then all of a sudden, boom, before you get to the place to where you're praying for your needs and for other things and, and, and all that, listen, God says, no, 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 this is the stopping point. Jesus gives us six points in that prayer. To put together. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the model prayer. Okay. Jesus said, here's how you're going to pray. And when you get to the middle of your prayer, you can't go any further unless you can pray openly and honestly, forgive me, just like I forgive other people. Well, that's serious stuff right there. That's just absolutely serious stuff right there. And I'm afraid that it's not going to be any, uh, any, um, uh, laughing matter when we wind up in the condition that we place other people in. When we ourselves need forgiveness and beg for forgiveness, and yet we're unwilling to give it to other people, I'm going to tell you that's not going to be a laughing matter. Number two, let me see this. Not only will you reap what you sow, but number two, you're commanded to forgive even when you're right and they're wrong. You say, well, preacher, I got every reason. Okay, I'm not going to argue that with you. I can, I can tell you, yeah, I, I'm nodding. Yes, sir, I agree. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus commanded us to forgive even when we've been wronged and even when we take the right side of an issue, it's still not right for us to embrace a spirit of unforgiveness. Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking. He said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them which curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Well, that's no fun at all. That takes all the joy out of the Christian life. What? I mean, what about this, you know? I mean, come on, really, really, here we are, and, and, and we're thinking about getting things even and how we can strike back. And Jesus said, all right, here's four, here's four. You know what our problem? 
rather than responding like a Christian, we react like a sinner. And so Jesus said, here's, here's what I want you to do. First of all, love, bless, do good and pray. Try those out. Love, bless, do good and pray. I'm going to tell you something. That takes, that takes the spirit life. When somebody wrongs you, when somebody wrongs you, for you to respond to them as Christ commanded us to do, that takes the control of the Holy Spirit of God in your life because it suppresses your flesh. Number three, you're to forgive them for Jesus' sake, not theirs. Now go even to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. All right, jump over there. Let's, let's look at this. Ephesians chapter number 4. Let's look at this scripture for a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me, if you will, in verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now he's going to tell you how we grieve him. Watch this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There's a progression there I don't have time to go through tonight, but it, it, it works its way down to malice. Watch this. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? How? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So, so here's what God does. He said, all right, I want you to forgive. I want you to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's your, here's your measure. Okay, well, here's my measuring device. How, how am I to forgive you? I'm to forgive you in the same manner that God, for Christ's sake, forgave me. That's how I measure. That's how I measure out my, okay, how am I going to forgive you? I'm going to forgive you the same way Jesus forgave me. God forgave me for Jesus' sake. Okay. Now, if, if I, you know, if somebody tells me that, that uh, uh, there's been rumors spread about me and, and, and that somebody has done me wrong and I'm like, well, what in the world, what in the world was said? And somebody tells me that, you know, somebody accused me of being a Michigan Wolverine fan. Can you imagine the vulgarness of somebody accusing somebody from the SEC of that? But anyhow, and so I find out, I find out that somebody said that, and, and, and I'm being a little facetious. But the reality of the matter is, I don't forgive them because they deserve it. Because they don't. I forgive them. Because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I help you with this? When God saved me as a 12-year-old boy to Bobby Richardson crusade in Savannah, Georgia, when the second baseman for the New York Yankees came and gave his testimony, you know what God didn't do? God didn't look down and say, well, I'll be. There's Dean Herring. <laughs> what a kid. Boy, do I need him on my team. I think I'm going to save him because he's the most wonderful, absolutely miraculous young man, talented. It's unbelievable the potential that he has. I want him on my team. I'm going to save him because he's a great guy. That ain't what happened at all. Because at the age of 12, I was a sinner. And I needed grace. And God doesn't save us. God doesn't save us because we're great. God saves us because Jesus is great. And so here, here's what happened. Here's what happened. God said, see that boy right there? I'm going to save him. Not because of what I think of him. I'm going to save him. I'm going to forgive him because of what I think of him. Jesus. Now look at me. Whether you forgive somebody or not does not in any way, shape, or form exhibit what you think of them. It exhibits what you think of him. 
I'm to forgive them as God for Christ's sake, not for my sake, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven me. And when you get to the place to where you realize what happened on Calvary and how much God did to forgive you for Christ's sake, how much he forgave you, it's going to be a lot easier for you to look at somebody else and say, I'm going to, I'm going to measure out my forgiveness to them the same way the Father measured out forgiveness to me. Because I love Jesus Christ that much. It's so very important. It's so very, very important. Let me say, fourth of all, if you're to forgive, you must forget the offense. It's quiet. Son, how do you do that? Well, you don't, I mean, you might have somebody whop you upside the head. I mean, that might, you know, I'm talking to you, might all of a sudden say, I don't remember anything. That's not what he's talking about. You're not going to suffer amnesia. You're not just going to get to a place to say, well, Shazam, I don't remember any of that. Yeah, you do. So what does it mean? What does it mean that we, we, we are to forgive even, even uh, uh, as, as God forgave? Remember this, remember this, um, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. Yeah. And the Bible said that God will remember our iniquities no more. Amen. What does that mean? Is God suddenly just, oh, I don't know. No, no. It means that God in his sovereignty has chosen. He's made a choice not to remember the things that I may have guilt about, the things that may plague me. Listen, God forgave me. God forgot all of that so long ago. He doesn't remember it. And we come before the Father and say, oh, God, forgive me. Remember, I've been praying for this for two years now. God's saying, what? Yes. What? I, I forgot that. So, so how do we forget the offenses that have been done? We choose not to think about them. We choose not to think about them. We, 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 we stop dwelling on those things. Amy Carmichael said, if I say yes, I forgive, but I cannot forget, as though the God who twice a day washes all the sands of all the shores of all, uh, of all the earth could not wash such memories from my mind, then I know nothing of Calvary love. I can't say I forgive you, but I'll never forget what you did to me. I had a man come to me one time. He's, look, I've been, I've been preaching since I was 17, okay? It's 10 years. And, and so, you, you, know, you know, he's the most miserable man I've ever pastored. He came to me one time and said, Preacher, I'm going to tell you something. All right? He said, I forgive, but I never forget. And I thought to myself, what a sad individual. You fooled yourself into thinking that you've truly forgiven somebody, but you're, you're, you're keeping good accounts for somebody that's supposed to have forgiven. Now look at me. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. I counseled with a couple one time, and they sat down, and, and, and they were telling me some things that had happened in their, in their life. It was in a previous church, and, and, and as they're standing there telling me, we're sitting in the living room together, eyes are welling up with tears, and lips are quivering, and, and this emotion that I'm feeling, I'm thinking, oh, my soul, these people are hurt. They've been hurt. I want to help them and minister to them. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. And so I said to them, I said, okay, now, first question, here's what I want to ask you. When did this happen? And when did this happen to you? And they said, uh, 20 years ago. I said, 2-0? 20 years ago? And you're sitting here weeping about it? 
You're getting emotional about it? Who is your God? Are you telling me the God that forgave you of all your sins couldn't give you the grace to forgive somebody else of theirs? Who is it? Listen, what is it that has kept you there? You know what it was? It's that they talked about it all the time. Let's say tonight I take off across the parking lot and I'm running down to the mission house, by the way, which is fabulous. I'm running down to the mission house uh, because the pastor says, let's go get another Andy's. No, I don't want that. I'm kidding. I, that's a joke. I could not eat another. But I'm running probably because I ate Andy's today, okay? I stumble and fall on my way and I hit that asphalt and I take the top of my left kneecap off. Rips my pants leg. Son, they wrap me up and I'm hobbling around and... Boy, I'm just, you know, it's not too good. It's bleeding through the bandage, man. I'm hurting bad. And wow, it just goes a little ways. And, you know, finally I get here and, and somebody said, Brother Dean, on Thursday night, you're, you're limping, man. What's wrong with you? I said, you, you, you weren't out there? Nobody told you? Are you kidding me? I fell. And so I, I, I pulled my pants leg up and I unwrapped the bandage and there it is. Just raw and grotesque and sick. Everybody's getting nauseated. But I want everybody to see what happened to me. I wrap it back up. A couple of months later, a couple of months later, I'm hobbling around still a little bit. I'm at a fellowship meeting. Some of y'all come to the fellowship meeting. Brother Dean, why are you limping? Are you kidding me? Nobody told you? And so I pull my pants leg up and it's scabbed over now. But I reach over and grab the scab and just pull it up. Three people just blacked out. <laughs> My wife was one of them. But anyhow, I pull the scab up and boy, it starts bleeding down the calf of my leg again. And you're like, dude, why did you do that? Because I want you to know how bad I've been hurt. Now you look at me. You're never going to heal. You will never heal. You'll bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed every time you bring it up. And every time you seek sympathy from somebody, you're going to bleed all over again. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to feel those same feelings time and time and time and time again. As you repeat it, you're hearing your own story repeated. You're feeling your own emotions repeated. And it's coming back and it's getting fresh again. And you're feeling that same feeling again. And unforgiveness is rebirthed in your life every time you tell it again. Let it go. I was in Disney World. A number of years ago, let me just, can I, can I make that disclaimer? A number of years ago, I don't want to ruin my reputation on social media. Dean Herring said he was in Disney World. So just don't put it on Facebook, all right? Years ago, my grandkids were small. Somebody had given us tickets to go to Disney World. So I'm there. We go all day long having a great time. I got my grandson up on my shoulders, you know. We're over there at night before it closed up. We're going to see the uh, the, the castle lit up, you know, they do the laser show. And so we're all there. I'm standing in this humongous crowd of people. And all of a sudden, everybody breaks out in this song. And I, I'm like, what, what are they singing? I didn't know. In fact, today, the only words I know is let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. I just kept singing, let it go. I'm like, what is that? And as I listened, you know what I thought? That ought to be a choir special. <laughs> change the words, change the words, but just let it go. Amen. 
And I want to tell you what we need to learn how to do under the grace of a good God is we learn to learn how to let go the things that are plaguing us and keeping us awake at night and keeping us away from our walk with God. Let it go. And let God bring healing into your life. Number five, let me say this. And that is that unforgiveness leads to bitterness and the longer it lives, the bigger it gets. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15, you can go there later, but it talks about lest any root... A bitterness springing up trouble you, listen, thereby many be defiled. Do you know that from a little acorn grows a mighty oak that branches spread out and shades and covers and, and the deep south Spanish moss grows from and it's a humongous, powerful tree. Sometimes I've had people look at me and say, Preacher, how do we get here? My family's out of church. My marriage is in ruins. How do we get here? Or somewhere down the line, somebody did you wrong. And you just, you just took that little teeny thing. It wasn't much. It was just a root of bitterness. And you said, I'm not, this isn't big, but this is mine. Nobody will see this. I'm going to hide it right here. And I'm just going to keep it. And I'm going to nurture that. I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to water that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that grow in my life. And, and then all of a sudden it begins to break through the soil of who we are. And it begins to grow bigger than us. And, 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 and it compasses our life. And thereby many, our children, we talk about it. Our marriage, we complain about it. We spill over things. My children have prayed for people for years that did me wrong. But they thought they were great people because I never took it home. You know why? Not because I'm a great guy. I just didn't want to kill my children with the things that had hurt me. A guy breaks into our house and pulls a gun out and shoots me on the ground and he's climbing out the window with our, with, with, with our TV and things. I said, sir, could you wait just a minute? And he stops and I said, um, this is going to be unusual, but could you hand me that gun? I'm not giving you my gun. No, I promise you I won't shoot you. I just want to shoot my family. Why? Because I want them to feel what I felt. So I find my wife and my kids and I shoot them all and say, I just want you to know the pain I'm in. Now, I know that's weird sounding, but I want you to tell you that's exactly what we do. We come home somewhere and somebody's wronged us and we say, hey, I want you to know how I feel. Feel sorry for me. I want to wound you with the same words that I was wounded with. Rather than protecting my wife and protecting my kids, I actually injure them as I've been injured. Mm. Unforgiveness, the root of bitterness. It'll spread and spread and spread and spread and spread. Go with me to Matthew 18. Let me give you my last point, and that is simply this. Unforgiveness subjects you to demonic oppression. Now that's a strong statement, but I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 18. I want you to see this because I, I don't think there's any possible way that this can be overstated. So let's just read the Bible. Let's just read the Bible and find out what Jesus is talking about here. Verse number 21 of Matthew 18, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how all shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. 
Now, out beside that, you can write this down. The wages of 17 men for 10 years. That's huge. I I, I saw that translated in today's money, and it's in the billions. That's a staggering amount. This guy owed him what equaled in this time to the salaries of 17 men for 10 years. But for as much, verse 25, as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. That's one man's wages for three months. Not near as much. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servants fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but, but, but went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. Let me stop and make this quick statement. Unforgiveness makes you lose common sense. When you're, when you're controlled by unforgiveness, you're not even thinking right. He throws the guy in prison and says, I'm going to put you in prison until you can repay me. He can't pay you nothing when he's in prison. Totally senseless. Watch here. Then his Lord, excuse me, verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Watch. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. Now I want to say this to you. Listen to me. The most tormented people I've ever known in my life are people who have not found the grace to forgive. They're tormented in their health. They're tormented in their emotions. They're tormented in their family. They're tormented in relationships. Their marriage is in trouble. Listen, their finances are in trouble. I am telling you, the people that are in the worst shape of anybody that I've ever known in all of my years of ministry have been people that have never found the grace to forgive. They're tormented. They're tormented. The most you'll ever be like Jesus is when you forgive. The least you'll ever be like Jesus is when you refuse to forgive. Years ago, I was getting ready for a triathlon, mini triathlon I was going to run in. My brother-in-law came to me and he said, Dean, you need to go up to the hospital. They took Josiah. Josiah was, was almost five years old. My little grandson, he was full steam ahead. He was, he's pedaled to the metal. I mean, this kid, look, when it came wrestling time, he was charged. I mean, he would run across the living room and head dive. I mean, right into the middle of me, leading with his head. He was a warrior of the first degree. Well, the last handful of days, he had become lethargic and we knew something was wrong and so, sure enough, his parents decided, we've got to find out what's going on with him. So they took him to a urgent care, and the urgent care said, you better get him to the hospital immediately. So I went, up, I went up, and I was in the waiting room when my son brought him in, and he had him wrapped in his favorite little blanket, and he said, hey, Josiah, look who here is. Papa's here. And, and I walked up, put my arm around him, and I said, hey, buddy, 
I'm going to pray for you right now. Papa and Mimi's praying for you, and we're praying that God's going to watch out for you. And I kissed him on his forehead and had a prayer with him. And my son took him, and they disappeared behind the doors of the pediatric intensive care unit. And as those doors closed, I never knew that my life was so drastically going to change. And every report that came to us got worse and worse. And we would say to ourselves, well, it can't get worse. It did. Well, it can't get any worse. This has to be the worst. No, it wasn't. And they met with us in little side rooms along and along during that journey. And, 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 it, and it was a glioblastoma tumor. And the thalamus are the worst part of the brain. And, 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 and it just got worse. And one thing happened to another. And now they're telling us that there's, you know, he's got, he's got four months at the most. And seven months at the outside. And it overwhelmed us. So my son set up an appointment with a specialist and said, I'm going to go talk with him and I'm going to find out what can be done. And so he went and had the appointment and there were several options that was given. Make-A-Wish was going to send them to Florida, to Disney World. There was, a, there was an alternative treatment that could be held somewhere in Florida where they had some sort of machine that put waves out. There was another kind of diet that he could have gone on. There was chemo and there was radiation. So there were four or five options. So my son went in to talk with the, this guy that was an expert with glioblastoma tumors and asked him, what, what option do you advise that I take? And the doctor looked at him and said, it doesn't really matter. Don't worry over this. Take the thing that means the most. Don't worry about it. If you want to go to Disney World, go to Disney Don't worry about that. Take the time that you have and enjoy it the best you can with your son. I don't have an answer for you. And I gave him, but he came back home and, and, and I said, what did he say? And he said, Daddy he said it didn't matter. And I said, you, he said, what? It didn't matter. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This guy is a specialist. And my grandson, my grandson is dying of cancer and he can't tell me an option. Doesn't matter. Choose any of them. I thought that, that infuriates me. What is he being paid to do? And I said, son, you can do whatever you want to do, and I'll back you up 100%. But I am saying this to you. I wouldn't take my grandson to see him again if my life depended on it. I'd have nothing else to do with him. That's all he can do. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't go at all. I was just emoting, just emotion, just emotion boiling out of me. And I struggled. They went to Disney World. Make-A-Wish flew him down there. My son calls me on the phone one day and he said, Dad, it was the last day. We were supposed to have a breakfast with Mickey Mouse and we put Josiah in the tub and he had his eyes closed and we said, Josiah, open your eyes. And he said, my eyes are open. And then he fell into a coma. So Susie and I got on an airplane and we rushed down. We flew down to, to Orlando to... Arnold Palmer Hospital, and we sat there as they gave us the news that he was in a coma, would probably never come out of it. So they flew the family back to St. Luke's Hospital in Boise, Idaho, and we all flew back, and in a journey that could have lasted four months, only lasted 55 days. I found out that the next step was him losing his hearing, his ability to walk, and going totally blind. 
And I, I had been out to the desert. I'd been out to the desert and begged God for mercy and begged God to heal my son and begged God to take my life and let my grandson live. Just take me. I've lived long enough. Let, let that boy live. Now. And now I died. We're sitting in a room in the hospital and I looked down the hall and here came the doctor, the expert, the guy that said to my son, there's nothing we can do. There's, there's just, there's no bad option and no good option. Whatever you want to do, Jason, do it. So he walked up to my son and stood in front of him and I stood, sat in the seat here and I glared at him and I thought to myself, really? And all of a sudden he broke and started crying. The doctor did. And he said, I so wanted I wanted to save the kid. I prayed for him. I just wanted to give your family hope. I was so hopeful that I could do something. I'm sorry. And I sat here, and God the Holy Spirit broke my heart. And he said to me, Dean, you've acted like an idiot. You blamed him for something he had no control over. And I stood up from that seat, and I walked over, and I put my arms around his neck, and I wept with him. And I thanked him for trying to save my grandson. And I love that man to this day. Now, this is, this is what I want you to see. Listen to me carefully. If what happened in that chair had not happened, I wouldn't be preaching here tonight. My church would have been led by a bitter pastor who found no grace to forgive. And rather than a flourishing church now in Cuna, Idaho, would have been a dead church led by a dead man who had no grace to lead them whatsoever. I'm just going to tell you, take that baggage and get rid of it tonight. Bring it to Jesus tonight. Bow your heads, would you?